0: Everybody, just wanted to jump in real quick before the news starts and just give you a little heads up. This episode is a little bit longer than usual. On the second story, I go on a bit of a tangent, but hopefully, it provides some commentary on my thoughts and what people are thinking in the environmental community about certain decisions that are happening around the planet. I think. More than just giving you the facts and the stories, I want to try and provide some pros and cons and illuminate on some of the commentary and color commentary about what these impacts mean for the environment and the people and the animals living on it. So that's why it's a bit longer this time. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'd love any feedback on that. But all I have to say, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this extended news episode. Let's get it. Welcome to Environmentality, a podcast for current environmental news, lectures, and interviews with the experts. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. Let's dive on in. And now, here's your brief update on what's been happening to the planet from around the world. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of environmental news. Let's jump into it. First story is a global story as scientists start to look at the impact of human reduction on wildlife. As COVID-19 shut down human activity around the globe, scientists are now asking what happened to the planet during this time. This period of time is now being referred to as the Anthropause. And so scientists are investigating now what happened to the wildlife during the Anthropause. This reduction of human activity is a rare and albeit amazing opportunity to evaluate how wildlife would interact without human activity and so again this is the question that many scientists are asking and nsf and other funding organizations are funding lots of research to look into these questions questions like how fish mammals and reptiles are reacting to tourism reduction how coral reefs are impacted by less tourism on our beaches how animals are migrating without human interference, how whales are behaving with less boats in the water, and again, how animals are behaving before, during, and after the pandemic. One mega study is pooling GPS tracking data from all over the world where 300 scientists have grouped together to compile nearly 180 species of over 300 different populations stretching across all the continents on the planet to understand how all sorts of animals like birds, mammals, reptiles, fish, and sharks are migrating during this time of the anthropods. Here are some preliminary results from some of these studies that are starting to come out animals began to cross roads during the daytime when historically they were monitored to be crossing at night. Another study showed that increased warbler populations have started to be on the rise at airports as they become less noisy and less busy. Loggerhead turtles began to increase their egg-laying frequency on beaches as, again, they become quieter and less crowded. Endangered and rare species in Chile, like the cod cod, a small cat in the leopard genus, or river otters, are now being detected in urban areas areas, and these wildlife are now starting to come in closer and closer to human populated regions. This is a very unique time for studying wildlife, because never before has human activity just come to a screeching halt. Many new investigations and findings are on their way to assess the biological impacts of the anthropos. Our next story comes to us from Alaska, as the Trump administration has just approved an oil leasing plan in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, also known as ANWR. The refuge comprises of 19 million acres along the northern coast of Alaska. This refuge is full of caribou, polar bears, moose, wolves, and migratory birds, and it's considered one of the most biodiverse regions in the United States and one of the most biodiverse regions along the five-nation Arctic Circle. And so opening up the land for oil and gas drilling purposes poses a risk to the natural habitat and its inhabitants, both the animals there and the indigenous people that depend on them, like the Gwich'in tribe, people that rely on especially the caribou for food and income. This proposal is opening up 1.5 million acres, which constitutes about 8% of the total refuge. So let's get into some pros and cons. The first is the economic impact, right? So of course, sure, more oil could lead to increased revenue, energy independence, but the price to work in such a remote place on the sheer hope that there'll be oil there is a very large investment and it comes at a very high risk. The only other well that had been drilled in that region yielded very minimal results in terms of oil abundance. So for these reasons, large banks have clearly stated that they're not going to help finance these oil and gas projects in the Arctic region, primarily because they're just a bad investment, but also because this poses enormous environmental threats. Furthermore, as we've seen over the past few months, oil has proven to be a very unstable commodity. The price of oil has plummeted over the past few months as it's clearly in excess and the demand has severely dropped. Again, this high supply, low demand situation showcases that oil is not necessarily a very stable commodity to be investing in. When we consider the environmental impacts, the first thing that comes to my mind and should come to everybody's mind is the Exxon Valdez oil spill back in 1989, which occurred off the coast of Alaska. This was the largest oil spill in global history at the time until the Gulf of Mexico spill in 2010. The Exxon Valdez oil spilled about $11 million gallons of oil. This is in contrast to the 300,000 gallons that were spilled off the coast of Mauritius Island. That spill alone is already devastating those islands in the Indian Ocean. Consider that that was 370,000. This is 11 million. The Deepwater horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico was 210 million gallons. You have to understand, the question is not if an oil spill occur. It is when this oil spill occurs what is going to be done to mitigate the impacts of all this oil on the environment. The Exxon oil spill cost nearly $4 billion, and that was back in 1989, and it led to the death of several thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals. It's been estimated that quarter million birds, 3,000 otters, 300 seals, 250 bald eagles, and 22 killer whales were killed by that oil spill alone, and ravaged 1,300 miles of coastline in Alaska. One of the reasons why it was so devastating is because the oil spill had occurred in winter. Trying to get heavy-duty emergency oil spill cleanup equipment into Alaska in the middle of winter when there's snow and ice over all these roads is so difficult and so dangerous. And so the oil just was let to spill until conditions could clear up. There's nothing necessarily preventing the same type of thing happening again in Anwar. Where again, this is a very remote, volatile region. If something catastrophic were to take place under less than ideal conditions in terms of the weather, how are we supposed to get there to clean things up quickly to mitigate the impacts on both the Gwich'in people and all the wildlife there? The answer is well, it's not guaranteed. It's not always possible. And so, again, that's what makes these types of projects so risky. So, Needless to say, from an environmental point of view, from an economic point of view, the risks and the cons, in my opinion, just outweigh the pros and the benefits. And so what can you do to help make sure this doesn't continue to move forward? Well, again, vote for politicians that are against these oil and gas projects in Anwar, America's last great wilderness is on the ballot in November. Vote accordingly, Additionally, you can make your voice heard and sign the petition I have listed in the show notes. There are numerous renewable alternatives when compared to fossil fuels that can grant us energy independence. And furthermore, even if we want to stay with oil, there are better regions and safer ways to extract this resource in the United States that could lead to the production of oil, but done in a way that is less environmentally degrading. Look, I understand the need to be energy independent, but it does not mean we need to be environmentally reckless. Alright, here's the last story of the week. Let's end on a positive note because now I'm all worked up about oil drilling. Our next story begins in 2018. In 2018, there were three northern white rhinos left on the planet. But in March of 2018, the last male, Sudan, died rendering this subspecies functionally extinct, as the last two organisms to survive Sudan were females, his daughter, Najin, and her daughter, Fatu. The northern white rhino is a subspecies of white rhinoceros. The other subspecies of white rhinos are called the southern white rhinos, and these populations are very abundant, with about 16,000 plus individuals left, as compared to three, and now two for northern white rhinos. These rhinos continue to be under constant protection from poaching and care for the survival of this species at the Pejeta Conservancy in Kenya. Prior to Sedan, the last male northern white rhino's death, his semen was harvested and saved in hopes for in vitro fertilization in the future. However, biologists began to fear the risk of pregnancy and birth for these two remaining females, especially as they grow in increasing age with Najin being 31 and again Fatu entering into her 20s. So the ultimate goal would be to harvest their eggs and then find a surrogate mother in the southern white rhino species to take the semen from Sudan, the eggs from Najin or Fatu, combine them, fertilize the embryo, and then place them into a southern white rhino to act as a surrogate to lead to the propagation of more northern white rhinos. This is some very fancy stuff and this is the amazing work that conservation biologists are doing all the time to try and save species from extinction. So. What happened last week? Well, two oocytes or unfertilized eggs were harvested from Najin, Sudan's daughter, and eight were harvested from Fatu, Najin's daughter, for a total of 10 potential new offspring. This procedure had been completed successfully last year as well, which led to three fertilized embryos that again are now awaiting a potential surrogate. The same outcome is hopeful for this last procedure to be able to have more fertilized embryos to gain an increase in potential for being able to stimulate more offspring of the northern white rhino and save them from extinction. Awesome. Well, that's all I have for you guys this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Sorry for my long-winded rants, but hopefully that's why you guys tune in. Feel free to share this with your friends. Shoot me a rating on Apple Podcasts. That would greatly help out the show. Love you guys. Go outside and enjoy the beautiful nature all around you this week. Take care.